I warned you, and I can tell the numbers are light. I warned you it was going to be a tithe message. And I can see some folks took me to heart and decided not to come. And I'm, I'm okay with that. No, I, um, I was thinking, I, I had somebody come up to me last night, and they said, you know, Pastor, um, I know you've been saying you're going to do a message on tithing. I said, no, that's the portion of Scripture we're getting to, and I just want to give everyone warning. So, well, my, my son's bringing some of his friends, and is, is there any other kind of message you can do? No. I'm not, this is what we're doing. I, I, that's how it is, and I hope that they're blessed. Nobody's, this is a tough crowd. What's going on? I, maybe I'm just not even remotely funny. I get it. So, All right, fellows, would you pass out the word? If you didn't bring your Bibles, would you raise your hands, and they'll give you a Bible? And if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 1. We're not doing this message because we're in need. We're doing this message because it's the next thing that follows in our study of the book of James. And um, I wanted to cover it this morning. And so that's what we're going to do. And actually, it is a Christmas message. And some of you are going, how is that possible? It is a Christmas message. And you'll see in a moment. Open up to James chapter 1, and we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and we sit for the word of the teacher. I'm going to begin at the beginning of chapter 1. I know we've studied it, but let's put it into context. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, Its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Oh, how happy or blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And of his own will he, uh, excuse me, of his own will he, brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruit of his creatures. Amen? Amen. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And Lord, as we undertake this and we look at this idea of the testing of our faith and that, Lord, you give liberally when we ask, But then, Lord, we come to a place where if we don't believe you and take you at your word and we're double-minded, we're unstable in all of our ways. 
And then, Lord, you contrast this idea of a lowly brother, a poor brother who glories in his exaltation, but the rich man rejoices in his humiliation. And that the rich man fades away in his pursuits. But, God, you promise the crown of life to those who love you. And so, God, as we come to this trial and this temptation of our own desires being enticed, that it gives birth to sin, Lord, you want to give us good gifts because we know every good and perfect gift is from our Father above and comes down from the Father of lights. And, Lord, we rejoice this morning that we are the first fruits of your creatures, that we are the redeemed in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Bless the study of your word, I pray. Encourage every heart present, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Like all of you, I was sickened by what unfolded this week in Connecticut. I'm tired of the news, I'm tired of the bad news, I'm tired of the decline of man and the heartache of evil perpetrating itself and, and attacking our, our most vulnerable and innocent, in a sense, in our country. The destroyer is busy at work. Fear is gripping the hearts of all Americans. And here we are at Christmas when family should be close and there should be comfort within the home, rejoicing in the magnitude of blessings. And I just think of those families and I'm sickened. It's just not right. It's a testing of our faith for sure. It didn't catch God by surprise. But we thank God, how could you let this happen? Don't forget that the Holy Spirit is on this earth as a restrainer of evil. This is a fallen world. And if God is going to remove sin, then he has to remove the source of that sin, and that's you and me. Don't think you're innocent. We reap what we sow. You can't fill the airways and call it entertainment when we watch shooting and have your kids sit in front of video games endlessly with guns blazing and bodies falling and somehow think that everything's going to be all right. We're called by the Lord to raise our children in love and the admonition of Him. We remove Him from our schools. We remove Him from the nation. We remove Him from the, the center of our lives. We can't be shocked when things like this happen. He is the restrainer of evil. But he won't get in the way of our free will. He won't get in the way of those things that we pursue. He's merciful. But when things like this happen, we think, what have we done? In our feeble minds, we attempt to somehow come up with a solution. We think, well, let's remove all the guns. I would be the first for that if I thought it would work. The problem is the people that use those guns are still here. 
And they're going to figure out some way to hurt somebody at some time. It's not so much the gun that I'm afraid of as the person who holds that gun. And the heart that is desperately wicked. If someone wants to do evil, they'll find a way to do it. We think that somehow we can find security and restrictions. The law doesn't save. It never has. When our founding fathers spoke of freedom, they, they, they spoke of our accountability before God. There are not enough laws to enact on the face of the earth to maintain a society that will survive apart from God. If your heart is not ruled by God, it doesn't matter what society you live in. It's going to be awful. And so will your life. So will your life. When we're accountable to God and we operate in that context, then there's hope for mankind. Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It says that Jesus speaking to Pilate in Luke 18, standing, standing before Pilate, Pilate said, are you a king? Then he said, you say rightly, for I am a king. And for this reason I was born. To testify of the truth. And he goes on to say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's the point. Our lives are to be offered to God. God allows these things to happen to wake us up to the realization that the only one who can protect us and save us is Him. We give Him lip service, but we rob Him. We give Him lip service, but we ignore Him. We don't fear Him. The Bible says fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We don't fear the Lord. I was thinking in relation to this passage of scripture in James the testing of your faith you want an answer to this you want a solution to the problems at ALS God says ask me ask me I'll give liberally to anyone who wants to ask nobody's asking and we ask but we don't want the answers God says you're double-minded you're like a wave cast about in the sea you're unstable in all of your ways you doubt God and when I say you, I mean me too. I'm, I'm not pointing at you. There's nobody needs this message more than me in this room. I don't speak down to you just simply by the elevation of the pulpit. Trust me, you guys should be elevated and I should be speaking up to you. Unstable in all of our ways. We're double-minded. How can, God, how can we expect to receive anything from the Lord when we doubt Him? It's the testing of our faith. We, we studied last week that, that the foolishness of God is divine wisdom demanding faith. Trust me, God says. You come up with all of your solutions as though there's some way to solve it, and you know that it's not the answer and it's not going to work. And if money were the situation, we could pour money at the problem, then somehow it would be fixed, but it doesn't work. And then he looks at the two contrasts of people. We could scan the room. I would think in the span of humanity throughout the world that it, it, the contrast probably couldn't be achieved unless we include the rest of the world. But you, you could 
somewhat apply this contrast in the room. Some of you probably feel as though you're part of the first portion of this passage in verse 9, where it says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. You say, Pastor, I'm poor. Because lowly, in definition by James, is somebody who doesn't have a lot of money. Lowly. I got news for you. You have any electronics in your home, you have any food in your refrigerator, you have a roof over your head, you are not poor. If you're on welfare in the United States of America, you're better than the middle class of Europe. Do the calculations, take a look at it. You're not poor. And the scripture says, in, in, your, in your poverty, in your lowly state financially, glory in your exaltation. And, and th- we do anything but that. What do we do? We whine. I don't have enough. I can't afford this. We're not, we're not glorying in our exaltation that there's simplicity in life and that everything we see before us, I got to tell you, I don't want to be rich. I don't know what to do with the money. Some of you goes, I don't know what I'd do with it. I lay awake dreaming. I buy lottery tickets and I just sit there like heroin and just lay there going, that's what I'm going to do with it. When I buy it. It's just another form of a drug. And for a week, you get to just check out and dream instead of live the life God's given you. And glory in your exaltation to realize that God has the ability to speak. For a rich man to get to heaven is like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. You you realize you have need. You have many opportunities to cry out to God for wisdom. Uh, There isn't any money in the pocketbook, God. What do we do? You have to ask him. You're placed every day in a situation to ask him what to do. The rich think they don't need God. The rich think they don't need God. I got news for you. If wealth worked to make us happy, then why do we we just, are are we absolutely captivated by, by... the the enquire whatever those things are on the checkout stand with all the lives that are imploding who are just filled with money if if money could buy happiness trust fund babies would be absolutely i i I would want to be one but the number of families i've counseled whose kids are a train wreck money doesn't do it folks He contrasts, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Humiliation? Humiliation? How dare you say that I am to be humiliated? And your response to this verse is the same as the the impoverished person in the room's response that they're to glory. Glory about what? What am I to be happy about? Stop the whining. You are blessed. You know what? When you're thankful, whatever you have is enough. When you're not, it doesn't matter how much you have. It's never enough. When you're thankful, whatever you have is enough. Try it sometime. It's amazing. (laughs) Glory in your exaltation. Have you ever just looked at the meager things before you and said, God, thank you? Or looked at and go, well, neighbors have something better than we do. And then And then when it says the rich in their humiliation, humiliation, how dare you say that I'm to be humiliated? I carry myself with a stature because I'm a self-made man. You can tell how I am much more substantial than the rest of you sitting here. And it's just by my own willingness that I'm even sitting with you, rabble. 
You wouldn't have a chair in the city if I hadn't purchased it. If I had thought about purchasing it, but I've kept the money for myself anyways. <laughs> Humiliation? What am I to be humbled about? I am God's gift to mankind. No, you aren't. You see, the rich rejoice in their humiliation. The Lord will bring you low. Rejoice when he shows you that you have a need. The bank account doesn't make you. You know, God's in the business of reducing you to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum. If you think your identity, if I were to ask you, who are you? And you said, well, I am, I, I, I am the president and CEO of, and I live in this neighborhood, and I drive this car, and my children go to this. That's not who you are. Who are you? You are a donkey of a man. You are a sinner, hopefully saved by grace. That's who you are. I don't, you don't call me a sinner, Pastor. No, I didn't. God did. Take it up with him. Oh. Have you ever seen the contrast pictures of the people that we used to worship? And some of you are young and you worship them now. I, I, I thought the world, and still do, still do, of Mickey Rooney. I thought that guy, the way he could dance and he could act and he was just full of energy and he, he's the only actor in, in the history of Hollywood that remained 13 years of age for 40 years. <laughs> and I, I had the privilege of, of meeting him at this last pastor's uh, breakfast. I got my picture taken with him and he was sitting in a kind of a walker wheelchair, but he had walked around, said hello to people. And he said, I can't shake your hand, I just washed them. And, you know, and he was in a room, so he's older and he's concerned about his health. But I, I, I took my picture with him, he gave that smile he always does, and he's, he's 90. Yeah. An Academy Award winner and the whole bit, and he says, the greatest thing that's ever happened in all my life, of all the awards and everything, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is when I realized I was a sinner and Jesus was my Savior. You know, a lot of the young people go, Mickey who? I would just say this, pick your Justin Bieber, all right? That's who Mickey Rooney was back then. And when he was dating and everyone thought that they were the it couple and whoever Bieber's dating, I don't even know. But that's the, the point is you're, you want to be them. And they're going to be sitting in a walker going... And you won't know who they are. And you'll be telling your kids, your kids go, what? It's all going to change. Like a flower fades, so does the rich man in his pursuits. Run for it, accumulate it, and then leave it. You're going to die. You'll leave no mark. With the exception of Tutankhamun, and there wasn't a pyramid built for him, name one person for which the pyramids were built. And You don't even know their names. Tell me something about their life. You have no clue. They, they, they dominated the known world at the time. They left all their possessions rotting at the bottom of this stone structure. This isn't what life is. 
We've run for it for so long in the pursuits of finances that we have lost the meaning of life. And God points out in this passage, he says, happy is the man who endures temptation. Temptation? Yes. Happy is the man who endures temptation. Temptation? Yes. What temptation? He says, for when he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You're going to be tempted. This life will try to persuade you to fall in love with it. And God's saying, no, no, no. I want to give you the crown of life. Life everlasting. This world is passing away. It's temporal. But the world is is trying to captivate you. It's trying to persuade you to embrace it. Sucker you into that rat wheel so you jump on it and grow old and realize at the end of it you have nothing to show for yourself. And as you go through life, God promises a crown of life to those who love Him. Him. I love you, Lord. Do you? I do. Do you? I do. I really do. Do you? Why do you keep asking me? (laughs) Does this apply to you? Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. You're not being tempted by God. Check this out. But each one is tempted when he... Your will is drawn away by what? Your desires and enticed. Oh, that's pretty. Oh, look at the mall. Those are so shiny. Oh, how much? Is that Christmas is about? Yeah. And you're enticed and you're drawn away. By what? Your own desires? Oh, they're wearing it. They look good in it. Oh, they cut their hair that way? I want to do the same. Drawn away, enticed. Then, when the desire is conceived, conceived, conceived. I love that. It's, it's a birthing term. Well, not a birthing term. It's a get busy term. When the sperm and the egg meet, Creates a zygote. Conception, yes? 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128. I can't remember. When it's conceived and it begins to grow, it gives birth to sin. Sin. I've given birth to sin. Cut the cord. Let's raise it. Look at my life. <laughs> and when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Ah, ah. It kills you. Oh, that looks nice. Oh, I don't really have to deal with life. I could just take this and check out. Or I could buy this and just kind of lay in my bed and dream about what I do with it. You're not living, you're dying. And that that death is growing in you and soon it will kill you. And God says to you, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. Let me show you how to live. It's Christmas time. It's about gifts, yes? For God so loved the world he gave his only son. Every good gift. And we want good gifts at Christmas, don't we? Who wants a good gift at Christmas? Christmas. 
I want a good gift at Christmas. Who's lying? The rest of you. Nobody wants a good gift at Christmas. I want a good gift at Christmas. Every good and perfect gift, where does it come from? From above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. These gifts are eternal. He says, of, of his own will. Your will is to run after the baubles and trinkets. God's will is he brought us forth by the word of truth. Who's the word of truth? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He brought, of his own will, he brought us forth by his son that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creation. First fruits of his creation. He brought us forth by his son, the word of truth. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. For this purpose I was born to bear witness of the truth. This is a good, it's a perfect gift. This is what Christmas is about. It's not about the baubles and the trinkets and being enticed and drawn away and then conceiving sin and watching it form fully to death and destroying your life and our nation. See, it says here, Jesus, the birth of Jesus, Matthew 1 was as follows and it goes through the whole story. Verse 21, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins that want to kill them. And so all this was done that might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. We look at this and we realize that God has blessed us. The scriptures declare in this passage in verse 25 of Matthew 1, I'll read verse 24 too. It says, And Joseph, being aroused from sleep as the angel had commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Firstborn, firstfruits, firstfruits, firstborn. We find out something very important in the passage of James. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, it says in Colossians. He's the firstborn over all creation. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. You want a life of fullness? And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, being drawn away and enticed, Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. Because he's the firstborn, he's delivered you. And, and all of this makes sense as we look at the book of James. He's talking about a lowly brother glorying in exaltation and realizing, God, thank you that you have made my needs present, that I can depend upon you every moment. The rich man, thank you, Lord, for the humiliation to make me realize that I am nothing apart from you. Thank you, God. Thank you that, that you have clearly portrayed that anything that I receive, the only thing I want is the crown of life that you've promised to those who love you. God, I love you. But Lord, my heart is torn. I, I'm tempted. And I know you're not tempting me. I know it's all me. I know that I have evil desires and I'm drawn away and I'm enticed but when my will and that temptation unite, it conceives sin. And when sin is fully formed, it produces death. And it's destroying my, my home. It's destroying my community. It's destroying our nation. It's destroying the world. 
And the devourer is coming and we're watching it manifest itself on the news every day and we're sick of it. And God, I'm sick of it. And I want that crown of life. I want that good and perfect gift from you, Father of lights, help me. And the Lord says, here's how you receive it. Of my own will, I brought forth my son so that you would be redeemed and be the first fruits of of creation. You're the first fruits. Now this whole concept I said earlier was a tithe message. It is. It's not a money message. It's not. Christmas is a tithe message. Tithe. Everyone say tithe. Tithe means tenth. Say first fruits. Say firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. You're the first fruits. What does all this mean? In Exodus, the people were in bondage. They were in Egypt and they were slaves in Egypt. And as slaves in Egypt, they had no rights. People did to them as they pleased. And the Lord delivered them from bondage. And he did it through a series of events and miracles. But the final one that he did was the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt. But anyone who had the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the the firstborn lamb, the sacrificial lamb over the doorpost of their home, the angel of death would pass over and everyone in that house and the firstborn would remain alive. Wherever the blood didn't cover the home, the firstborn would die. And because of that, Pharaoh allowed the people to leave and be delivered from bondage and slavery. And so God would use this concept of first fruits, firstborn, And he would use it to declare to a redeemed people and a delivered people about these wonderful gifts from the Father in heaven. He says in Exodus 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all of the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. It is mine. The firstborn is mine, God says. Guess who we belong to as children of God? I gave you the answer. Guess who we belong to? We are God's. And Christmas time is the firstborn. Jesus was the Father's firstborn. God always offers the firstborn. God always honors the firstborn. God always honors the first fruits. You're the first fruits. You're where Jesus was the firstborn. He always offers the first. Cain and Abel's offering. He accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. It says in Genesis 4, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And then he goes on to murder his brother Abel. But you think, well, wait a minute. Cain, Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Yeah, listen to the passage. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. He brought him something. Lord, I'm bringing you something. And then verse 4 says, And then Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. It upset Cain. Cain murdered Abel. Why did he reject Cain's offering and accept Abel's offering? You see, Cain just kind of gave what he felt led To give. Does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? (laughs) Cain felt led to give whatever he felt led to give. It wasn't his first. 
God wasn't preeminent in his life. He just gave some fruit of his offering. Everybody gives an offering now and then to the Lord. That's why I don't allow the bags to go by. I don't want you tipping God. And you don't give God anything. Let's remember that. You don't give God anything. You bring what is his back to him. Let me show you. If, if uh, Peter Foy, um, you know, let's say my car breaks down and Peter, you're going to go on vacation. The two of you are going to be gone for the Christmas. And, and Peter says, Rob, I heard you don't have a car uh, my wife and I are going to be leaving town for two weeks. Why don't you use my car for two weeks? You can take me to the airport. Just could you pick me up? And I said, sure, Peter, thanks. And he gives me the keys to his car. I put 160,000 miles on it. <laughs> and, then, and then I pick him up at the airport, and he's coming out, and I go, uh, and Michelle and I greet the two of you, and we come out, and we go, you know, you guys, Michelle and I have prayed about this, and um, we want to give you this car. Does that work? You're not, you're, you're not giving God anything. You're returning it. Hello? Everything you have is His. You're returning it. I'm returning the keys to the rightful owner. God is saying, return to me. I own you. I purchased you with my blood. You're mine. And he says, consecrate to me the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both beast, man and beast is mine. You're mine, God says. And you look at the concept of it and you think, Abel's offering was the firstborn. That's why God received it. He returned it to the Lord. Cain thought he was doing God a favor. God doesn't need your favor. He already owns it. When you return what is the Lord's, He will bless you. He consecrates it. You return 10%, He blesses 90. You want to keep 100, you're worse off than if you were to give Him back His 10 and He'll bless your 90 than you would if you kept all 100. Some of you go, I don't believe it. Abraham's firstborn is what God wanted. Jericho, God said, give me all the silver and the gold in Jericho. Why? It was the first city. And all of you go, well, pastor, I I give as I feel led to give. First of all, you're not giving, you're returning. And the Bible commands that you're to do this. Does it? Yes, it does. Look, it says, Exodus 23, 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. He also goes on to say in Proverbs 3, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's the rule. Leviticus 27.30, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed or the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. God says, it's mine. It's holy to me. That's mine. Give it back. God says, it's mine. Give it back. You think, well, I don't know about that. The firstborn or the first fruit, the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Check this out. Exodus thirteen thirteen says, But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. <laughs> and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you say to him, By the strength of 
of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And when it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of the land, the firstborn of the beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. You see, the picture that you see here is that God says the firstborn is mine. The first fruits are mine. It's mine. It's mine. God says it's mine. You're not giving me anything. You're returning what is mine. James points this out. You want good and perfect gift? You want to have a life that is blessed? Then give me what is mine, God says. Give me what is mine. Of my own will, I brought forth by my son that you would be the first fruits of his creation. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. I'll bless you, but don't be unstable in all your ways. Trust me or don't. And we're going to begin at the very beginning. And the first fruit is this. A tithe is this. If you make $1,000 a month and you have 10 $100 bills, what would be the tithe? Okay, good. This group got it. Okay, what we have here, there you go, bless you, I, I hear your voice, $100, but which, which $100 bill of the 10, the first, all right, thank you, good, hang on, which, which $100 bill is the one that is the tithe, the first one that leaves your hand? Let me show you. This isn't a tithe. Okay, I got 10 $100 bills, and then we got the mortgage, MasterCard. Okay, no, not MasterCard. Fun money. Uh, and then you get down the end and go, okay. Oh, I'm short. Well, we'll give that to the Lord and then we'll back it up. That's not a tithe. First fruit is, I'm glad Mike is here because I need to talk to you while you're here. Stay there, don't move. The first, the first fruit, the first portion of the tithe is the bill that leaves your hand first. God is saying, trust me. If you... Doubt me, you are unstable in all your ways. This is a principle. I'm in control. Return it to me. I am your God. You are mine. And God points this out and he makes it very clear. If you allow all these other things to draw you away and entice you, you will give birth to sin and it will destroy you. Trust me first. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. All these things will be added unto you, the Lord says. The firstborn and the firstfruits are mine. You will not be able to marry my daughter unless you tithe. Okay, Micah? You know why? Luke 16. If you've not been faithful and unrighteous, mammon, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? Micah knows the value of my daughter. She's true riches. He's, a, he's, a, he's true riches too. But if he's not faithful with unrighteous mammon, why would I give him true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? God gives you these things so you don't fall in love with them. 
so you don't trust them. He wants you to trust him. This is what James is declaring. I, I want to I close this and, and make this point. That there's only one place in all of Scripture God allows us to test him. Only one place in all of Scripture God allows us to test him. And this is it. In giving. In Malachi, he says, you've robbed me. And we say, God, how have we robbed you? And he says, in what way have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. You love money more than me, God says. You love your entertainment more than me. You know you do. You go to church, you say you're a Christian, but your life in your pocketbook doesn't reflect it. I'm not first in your life, you know it. American Christians don't give a tenth. They just don't. They don't understand that this, this has nothing to do with money. He wants you to return what is his to prove that he is first in your life. That's the point. He says, you've robbed me. The whole nation's robbed me. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. Let me tell you what a tithe is. And a tithe isn't your Christian tuition for your child's school. That's not a tithe. Well, it's going to, to the church and something. No, it's not. That's not a tithe. That's a selfish indulgence for seeking an education. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Test me in this, God says. And James says, the testing of your faith. God says, test me in this. I'll make a deal with all of you. You tithe for one year. And if you get to the end of it and your life isn't richly blessed, I will give you all of your money back. You laugh. But God's word says, test me in this. He's on my side. He's on my side. And he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Anyone else in this nation sick of the devourer? Five, six, and seven-year-olds being mauled by insanity so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. We used to be. Now we're the laughing stock of the world. I want to close with this last thought. When I read out of Exodus... It says, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, what is this? You say, by the strength of the hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, son. You see, the picture is this. The picture is this. You're a Jewish farmer or a Jewish... Yeah, Jewish rancher. And the kids come running into the house. They go, Daddy, Daddy, the lamb's about to be born. You all run to the barn. And this little lamb comes out. And then it struggles to get on his feet. They go, it's so cute, Daddy. Daddy's so cute. But you just had a donkey born the day before, and that thing's running around. You needed a donkey. It's running around. 
And you need the donkey, and you got a lot of lambs, but you need that donkey. And that donkey is an unclean animal, but the lamb's a clean animal according to Levitical customs. And so daddy picks up this little lamb by its back legs, pulls out that knife and goes, cuts its neck and all the blood pours out, gives it unto the Lord. Little Johnny's looking, or little Jacob is looking, going, Dad, we're in the ranching business. You just, you just, you just killed the, the lamb. And as he grows older, he says, Daddy, why do you do that? One of the most profound things that ever happened to me was a woman by the name of Zabel Garabian, who was a very, very wealthy woman. And her husband, Harry, came to Christ a few months before he died. But Zabel, they were both Armenian, and Harry came to Zabel and said, I want to marry you. And Zabel said, I'll only marry you, Harry Garabedian, or excuse me, Harry Garabian, if, if you promise something. He says, I'll promise you anything. And he says, you need to do what my dad's always done all my life. He says, you got it. Zabel donated $2 million to a building I helped to oversee the construction of, the Garabian Family Life Center. The mayor came out and dedicated it. We went down for the Garabian Day, and there was a proclamation. We were downtown Fresno, and Zabel and I drove together, and she was in that time in her 80s, and we're driving back in her white Lexus and bejeweled, and she's driving, and her, she's got a little shake in her, you know, and the car's, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> and she's a fun driver. She had to kind of look up, where are we going, you know, and, and she pulls over on this one-way street downtown Fresno in this kind of d- derelict uh, neighborhood, in this old Victorian two-bedroom house, it was kind of leaning. It was dilapidated, and she pulls next to it. And it wasn't a, you couldn't park there. Cars are going around us, and she's just sitting there as though she owned. And she says, Rob, do you see that front window in that house there? I said, yes. She says, Rob, that's the house I grew up in. This was the Armenian quarter of Fresno when my parents immigrated here. She says, you see that front window? I said, yes. She says, it's a very precious window to me. I says, why is that, Zabel? She said, my father, when we were young, would gather all the children together and take the envelopes and lay them out on the windowsill. And the first one was the Lord's envelope. And he would take his paycheck. He was always not paid in a check. He was paid in money. And he would have us all figure out the mathematical equation of what the tenth was. And he'd say, kids, this is the first fruit. And, and they would all take it together and they'd put it in the envelope. And he said, she said, Rob, do you know that we never ran out and it always lasted to the very last envelope? And she said, what I told Harry when I met him is, you got to do what my dad did. Harry says, oh, I don't give to stupid churches. That's a waste of money. Religion. Harry. All right. And he did. God bless that man. Harry said to me when he was old, he said, you know, I don't buy into this Christianity thing, but Zabel sure had the principle and it worked. I said, Harry... Zabel understand God's first. And God wants to redeem you. Here's the principle. And this is what Harry understood. And listen. The donkey was an unclean animal. The lamb was a clean animal. If you wanted to keep the firstborn donkey, you had to kill the lamb. Look around the room. It's a room full of donkeys. 
Hello? You're all unclean in your sin. And the sinless Lamb of God died that the firstborn would be redeemed of his creatures. Harry, you understand the tithe of the first. He gave you his son. He's his firstborn. We saw that in Matthew. You've given him the first of your wealth. Give him your life. It was really easy for him to do that. It led him to the Lord. James says, you want to grow up? You want to be mature? Give me back. Return to me what is mine. It's an issue of a testing of your faith. Test me in this, says the Lord. Quit robbing me. It's not what you feel led to give. That's like saying, I will love my wife when I feel led to love her. I'm commanded to love her. You are commanded. I am commanded to give him back what is his. Why? It's a testing of our faith. Otherwise, you're unstable and double-binded. You'll get no gifts. You're drawn away. Satan wants your first fruits. He wants the best of your life. He, he, he said, I want to sift Peter like wheat. I want the, the kernel. You can have the chaff. God says, no, give it to me and watch me multiply it. It's not about money. It's about faith. That's the scriptures. James got it. And you know what? It's Christmas. Not only did James get it, God got it. Mary's firstborn. And he was sacrificed. The lamb was sacrificed to redeem the donkeys. That's how we live. That's what God wants. It's not a game. We don't tip him. We love him. That is faith. Amen? Let's pray.